What's going on, drinking buddies? Brand new podcast coming right at you. But real quick, you know what we got to do first? We got to pay some bills. First and foremost, we are brought to you by huh? the video version of this podcast. That's right. Experience the fucking madness in full H fucking D. I don't know why I'm saying fuck this much, but I am. That's right. The video versions of this podcast are ad-free, full HD, on Vimeo for 99 cents an episode, or $6 a month gets you all the episodes unlimited streaming. With this episode in particular, there is about five minutes of content that is exclusive to the video version. Crystal performed live aerial silks on camera, but it didn't translate very well to audio, so it got cut in the audio version. So check that out today at www.anwd.net slash videos. Once again, that is www.anwd.net slash videos. We are also brought to you this week by my Twitch stream. If you love gaming, you want to hang out with me on chat, fucking just get down while I play some fucking video games, and while I play video games with some of my goofy-ass friends, check out the Twitch stream at www.twitch.tv slash Slayer. I play every Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. It's a good time. You can make me take shots on stream and get real drunk while playing video games. Once again, that is at twitch.tv slash Slayer. And along with that Twitch account, we've actually made a merch store for both You Laugh, We Die, and and Now We Drink. So check that out at anwd.net slash merch. Get all your And Now We Drink and You Laugh, We Die merch. And last but not least, we are brought to you by our friends at Vinyl Me Please. Vinyl Me Please is the record of the month club. The best damn record of the month club. In fact, every month, Vinyl Me Please has one record that is essential to the modern vinyl collection. Each record comes packaged with exclusives like bonus tracks, inserts, color variants, and an album-inspired artwork and custom cocktail pairing recipe. Vinyl Me Please has been a sponsor of the show for a long time, and it's because it's so goddamn rad. It's not like regular month clubs of old. It's month to month, no strings attached. Get some awesome vinyl and expand your fucking library for a really low rate. So check that out today at www.joinvmp.com slash ANWD. Once again, that is www.joinvmp.com slash ANWD. My guest this week is adult performer, aerialist, comedian, Crystal Taylor. Crystal is uh, kind of a newbie to the adult biz on the mainstream end, but Crystal has lived a bunch of different lives. She's super interesting. I had a blast talking with her. I really am looking forward to when we can do it in studio, though I won't get an aerial silk performance when we do, but it was a good time. So sit back, relax, pop a cold one, and enjoy drinking buddies. afternoon or whatever everybody i'm here with uh crystal taylor and uh for the video version we're gonna get some aerial going i am still half awake i was doing mushrooms till four o'clock in the morning last night so 
I meant to go to bed at a reasonable hour, but these things don't always happen. Crystal, how the fuck are you? I'm doing fucking amazing. And I'm also really proud of you for doing that damn soul work with the mushroom medicine. Good job. Oh, I, I'm going to be doing some more. Right on. Crystal, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I've been waiting all fucking week. Like, you got me out of bed while the sun was still up. So, proud of you there. The must be, it's an accomplishment, right? You got me out of it bed. Is. It is. I'm trying to make it worth it. <laughs> I have no doubts. I have zero doubts. So, I guess let's get on with the show. Oh, my God. I just realized I am waking up to a beautiful woman giving me essentially a private dance. Like, True. what is my life? So I'm super happy to have you on the show. We've been playing internet phone tag for like a couple of weeks now trying to get this together. Thank you for being like so flexible in the planning. I appreciate it. Hey, it's all good. I don't leave my apartment much, so it's not like I have anywhere to really fucking go. Though <laughs> she did try to drag me out, but it's like, do you want to do this at 10 a.m.? I'm just like, uh, what? 10 a.m. That's not a time anymore. That's pre-COVID times. Yeah. <laughs> I but as I lose my mouse trying to get my boots, it wouldn't be a now we drink if I don't have at least a drink on air, right? Drinking at noon. <laughs> That's five o'clock somewhere. It's a. It's okay. You're being responsible, and I know you have other shit going on today. Well, the rule with acrobatics is that if you get high, you got to stay low. No, that is a very wise rule. Like, I, I do not want to make a snuff film. I don't want to. No. <laughs> no, and honestly, at, like at this point, I uh, I when I do when I do smoke weed, I tend to do it like late at night just because I'm practicing so much that I don't have like get high time. Like I used to, and I don't need it. Honestly, this, this gets me so high just naturally like my friends surge when I'm doing it. So it, just, it feels amazing. That's awesome. How, yeah. how much are you on the soap today? Um, I'm up for, a portion of every day, but I would say like serious training is probably four days a week, but I have a lot of other um, sports that I do. So I try to roller skate seven to 10 miles a day. Like I always aim for six days a week, but um, you know, sometimes it's maybe as little as four, but generally around five or six. And then I do, um, like a contortion class of flexibility just for like training my back and my splits and stuff like that. Because the stronger you get with acrobatics, you're just like guys who lift a lot of weights in the gym. They're not very flexible. So the stronger you get, your muscles get tight. So you have to spend kind of twice the amount of time training the flexibility so that you have. So there's always a battle going on. Like some days I'm stronger, some days I'm more flexible and I'm always kind of trying to strike that balance in between and it's a lot of training and I've been doing it for um this level of training like close to 15 years Jeez, I, I've had some breaks in there like <clears throat> times where for like maybe I train less but the, the times that I've trained less it's always because it was preceded by a period of time where I was training 
to the point of having no life outside of the training. And then sometimes I just kind of like spiritually, I need a break from it. So it's hard to keep that consistency for just year after year after year. And like, I am getting a little older. So my body <laughs> can't take what it did when I was like 20, you know? I know this is getting old shit sucks, but you're doing it a lot better than the rest of us. Like I'm, I'm really pleased with the way that I'm using, but I'm also busting my ass to make it so. So it's not just like a genetic gift. It's like I try, I try really. I was like, you don't have to try. I'm like, oh, but I do. I try really hard. So for the audience, believe it or not, Crystal and I are the same age. What differences? Like, yeah. Same age here. So I think some of it probably is a little genetic, a little genetic, but I know you're working, fucking killing yourself with that routine right there. I don't have that level of dedication. I don't. I don't. You do. You're doing it with this, though. You're doing it with, you know, your podcast. Well, yeah, but this is work. Like, that, that, I know, though, what you're doing is actually part of your work, but. I don't know. I just sit on my couch and bullshit with people. You were out there, like, actually kicking that ass. Yeah. <sighs> there, there are different skill sets, but I feel like yours requires a little more determination than mine does. It a little more dedication. Exceptional level of consistency um, and discipline. Yeah. When people define me, they don't really define me by my discipline. Right. I don't know how I got that reputation, but I would say that everyone who knows me like closely in my life would definitely co-sign the consistency and discipline aspect of my personality that, that I know me to be about that. Has that just been a lifetime thing or did you develop that as an adult? No, I think it's been a lifetime thing. In my 20s, um, I spent a lot of time alone in the gymnastics studio training to get good at this and uh, I ran a marathon and so while all my friends were out on Friday Saturday nights drinking I was preparing to do like 25 mile runs at 8 a.m in the morning so I've always I always have gotten something out of people of extreme endeavors that all of the training and all of the discipline it takes, it, it breeds a certain type of psychological and emotional freedom to know that you can achieve these things that you didn't think was possible. Because it's day after day of forcing myself to, I mean, there's days where I want to sleep all day because I'm tired and my body hurts and I have to get up and eat the right foods, like drink the green juices, get up and do my flexibility training. To So if I'm sore, uh, actually, if I stretch, it alleviates it. But your mind tells you just lay in bed, but that makes it worse. So um, all the times when I don't want to train and I, and I, I want to not be doing it, um, having a discussion with that part of my brain saying, hey, if we need to do this, you want to get better? Like, let's, you love to do this. And, um, and then overriding my obstinate feelings of just not wanting to participate <laughs> these things that I love day after day um, kind of has showed me what I'm really made of. And it's really, really beautiful. It's, it's really a very spiritual um, and emotional journey. It's not it, the physical part is what everybody else sees. But when I first started doing this, I wasn't good at it at all. I sucked and I would come out of the gym crying 
I was never going to get better at it. But every day you get a little bit more flexible. Every day you get a little stronger. You learn a new trick. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, I'm doing it. It's it's so awesome. I think it takes a special kind of person to, like, be able to to have that kind of delayed gratification. Because that's not me. Like, I am not a delayed gratification person at all. Like, when when I'm working out, I'm like, no, 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 I want to be in the gym. I'm like, I want to come out, like, uh, with visible weight loss or fucking, you know, bulk up or some shit. I'm like, well, that doesn't happen overnight. So it's just like, well, I get discouraged. And then I don't stick with it because, you know, that's, but that's an amazing mindset on your part that you can do that day in, day out. Because when you're describing, like, the days that you're in pain and just like, I would just stay in bed. I would just stay in bed. One of the things it's taught me um, is that I have agency over my psychological real estate and that I actually, if I don't like the thoughts I'm having, can change them. I can think whatever I want here. No one else has control of that. So uh, when I'm having thoughts come up that I don't like, I kind of switch the lens like you would if you were trying on different pairs of glasses until you found one that lets you see the most clearly. And then I will take the thought that feels the best and be like, okay, that's what I think now. Just because I think something doesn't mean that I have to like go with it, you know, because some days my brain's like, you're a fucking loser. And I'm like, wait, ask you like one voice in there. And then there's a, there's a lot more positive ones. And so I, I really actually um, spend a great deal of time cultivating my inner peace so that these type of pursuits are easier for me. You know, because it's, I think it starts with mind control. And I think anybody who trains um, acrobatics will tell you the same thing, that with the increased increased range of motion um, also comes like an increased flexibility with the way that you think. Because um, when you're in painful positions, like painful backbends and splits, sometimes your mind starts going into dark places. And in order to hold those pictures when you're in pain, you have to have dominance over your thoughts, you know? And and then when you do that enough times, you keep practicing that, you start to get really good at it and then make friends with the pain. And then you see yourself getting stronger and possible. And it's just, I, I, I felt that way when I was doing martial arts too. So it's uh, any sort of body movement like that is very freeing to me. I carried all these lessons over into the porn industry, which is why I, I don't like the idea that porn stars are like drug addicts with daddy issues. I'm sure that's true for some of them. Yeah, but that's true with your fucking barista at Starbucks too. Totally. And I I feel like I'm coming into the industry out of inspiration and not desperation. And I'm taking all of these very evolved ways of thinking that I've adopted over time. And I'm using them to allow myself to explore the parameters of my sexuality and what I perceive to be as a safe where there is consent and full panel STD testing and other like-minded people in the industry because actually um so I've been uh in mainstream porn for six months now and um I've met one person that left the industry and wish they never started and, and seems to have very negative feelings most of the all of the other people I know are just enjoying what they're doing and I think that the stigma that surrounds adult work is so heavy that it is the primary 
it's the primary aspect of the arena that is the most damaging to me performer because when I'm on set, I don't feel like I'm being exploited or taken advantage of or coerced. Um, but it's the perception of the general public of that that's difficult for me to navigate because they have their pre-programmed judgments and that's the like labels that are getting slapped all over me. And I'm like, I'm at peace with this. I find it freeing. I love that I've given myself permission to publicly explore my sexuality without shame. And I'm happy to share that. And I love the opportunity to speak about how I really feel about what I'm doing in podcasts like this, because I want to break that perception that people have. Well, 100%. I mean, that's one of the unfortunate parts about the industry is the people that consume it are the same people that will throw stones. Yeah, the same people that are pointing their dick at you behind the computer are the same ones that are pointing their finger at you. Yeah, it's the old saying, like, one hand pointing, one hand on the dick. It's just, yeah, it, it's, exactly. Uh, hell, pornography is, through Pornhub, Pornhub. is consumed more in red states than it is blue. The Bible Belt is are, are the main consumers. Yeah. But those are the first people that would try to take away your rights, try to outlaw pornography at the same time. It's just like, but you're the main consumer of this. Why? Why would you shoot yourself in the foot? At the end of the day, even if they completely outlawed porn, it wouldn't go away. It was an outlaw industry to start with. It would go back that way. It's much like abortion, where if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, abortions aren't going away. Safe abortions are going away. That's right. So porn would do the exact same thing. Porn would go back underground. You'd have less reputable studios, maybe not keeping up with the the talent testing panels. And you might see criminal organizations get more involved with things and it'd be bad for everybody involved except criminals, of course. So it's exactly, I don't understand why anyone would be like, Oh yeah, we should, uh, we should outlaw porn or we should make it more restrictive. Like, no, no, there's a small amount of agents in the porn industry that are actually licensed and bonded agencies who, um, are reputable. I, I'm I'm signed by ATMLA, and I have like Marcus, uh, incredible at what he does. And um, I feel like if it was to be fully illegal, that we would see a tremendous rise in these very, um, you know, agencies that are out to exploit the unknowing and the naive. And uh, I feel very fortunate that you know coming into the realm of mainstream porn that I kind of feel like I came in to some extent at the, at the top because of the people that I work with. And um, I've been privileged enough to shoot with people who've been in the industry for like 15, 20 years. I just shot with Manuel Ferreira for Jordan this past week. How was that, by the way? It Absolutely incredible. Like, it was incredible. Um, he is very humble and very personable Manuel is. And uh, he has a very high level of sexual uh, intelligence, which most people don't know <laughs> what that is. So I like to be submissive in bed, um, but that doesn't mean that I want my 
partner to only be dominant. The, the dom has to prioritize my pleasure. And once I know that that's their goal, then I can fully submit and we can do all the fun things like the choking and the slapping and all that type of shit. So um, my consent discussion with Manuel was pretty simple. I was like, I'm a full-blown adult. If you start doing too much, I'm going to scratch you on the side that's opposite the camera. But we never even got anywhere near there. And it was, you know, like, I mean, it wasn't like a, a crazy anal gaping scene, but it was intense enough to where he never even came close to the line of me feeling like he was going too far. Um, and then uh, we had a nice cover session after the cameras were turned off. But the cameraman left and I got to just kind of hang out with him and talk and um, sometimes when you shoot a scene, the male talent does not have sexual intelligence and they don't know how to actually act with you as a human being. They only know how to put their dick in the hole. And that's not what makes a good scene to me because, um, a partner who can almost read what your next move is going to be before you make it and can, you know, there's a lot that can be said through eye contact and body language. And when somebody can't read your body and they can't read what's going on in your eyes, I think that's where, um, I think that's where the passion and the connection gets lost in a scene. And there's a reason why Manuel is number one in the movie. He really understands that. So I felt like I really was met in my sexuality where I wanted to be by a like-minded partner. So I appreciated, he chose me for that scene, um, which I deeply appreciated, especially because I'm fairly new and um, I thought it was a great opportunity and I'm grateful. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. And I know like for you, I've heard in other interviews that, you know, you want to stay single forever. So this is, you know, a lot of your real sexual outlet too. Do I want to stay single forever for well, the foreseeable future? Yes. But the, the thing is that that level of intimacy that you have when you're like really in love with somebody, you can have that with multiple partners if they're intelligent enough to go there without ownership of you. And I felt like he was able to do that in that scene. You know, there was definitely a real intimacy happening. But just because I have, uh, you know, like a soulful and psychologically connected moment with another human being, I don't need to own them and slap a label on it. I just, I think for me at this point, I don't know that I want to use words like polyamorous or any of that. I just think um, I, I really uh, need to have a lot of alone time and a lot of agency over, complete agency over my affairs because this training for Ariel and all the things that I do takes a lot of time. So to entertain a boyfriend means I have to take time out of my schedule for other things. And I am so in love with what I'm doing that I just, I don't know that at this stage of the game, anything could trump how awesome I'm feeling. Like I just, I feel incredible. I'm fucking so happy. I just don't want to fuck it up. <laughs> getting into a fucked up relationship they all start out nice in the beginning well yeah i mean you don't stick around if they start off fucked up right and and i'm and i'm just kind of like not into really like gambling with my career i see a lot of people uh have come into porn and have either a relationship with a civilian which can get go really or a relationship with another porn star and that can go really weird too and i feel like i'm enjoying navigating industry um, as you know, a, a sole entity, and uh, I want to keep it that way because I feel like I can trust my own judgment 
But when I have to deal with somebody else's uh, psychology that I'm intimately connected to, it can cloud my thoughts because not all my thoughts are my own. Part of my thoughts are now this person's opinion. And so in an uh, attempt to uh, just, I, I feel as, as a whole person right now, and I don't want to fragment that by taking chances on something that I don't need right now. If I get to the point where I want a relationship, I'll always be honest with myself about that and I'll pursue it and get it just like I do everything else. But that's not today, my friend. Today, I just want everyone on the internet to be able to identify my asshole in a lineup. Different strokes for different folks. <laughs> Speaking of your asshole, the, when Crystal and I first set this up, like she's like, I'll show you my butthole. I'm just like, whoa, 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 that's not necessary. I, I now see that it's just your master plan. You just want everyone to see your butthole. I'm not I special always, here. It's just- funny just to just offer it up because it's like, I like shock value. I've always thought shock value is like really funny. It's best, like when I said that to you, it was not to turn you on, although maybe it could. It was to make you laugh because I like to make people laugh. And if I have to use my asshole to do that, so be it. It's worth it. I want to bring... The people are miserable right now. The world needs more joy. I agree 100%. It, even if you're routinely a fairly happy person, a well-adjusted person, this is unprecedented times. Yes. As cliche as that shit is. And even, I have my moments where it's super overwhelming to me too. And like I said, I got to steer my thoughts in the right direction and not let that uh, kind of monologue keep running. Yeah. Uh, and it's fucking difficult. Like, for me, for me. Uh, five years ago, like right now, I was in South Africa just partying. And it's like, man, I miss going places. And I just like have to be like, tell myself, tell it's myself. Like, it'll, it'll be it'll back. Be it'll be back. fucking it'll back. Be- this isn't forever. No, it's not. It's, it's temporary. It might be a long temporary, but it's not forever. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe the earth will spin off its axis and explode tomorrow. And it won't matter. Or, you know, L.A. will fall into the fucking ocean. Fall into the ocean. Fall. Who knows? This has absolutely illustrated that five-year plans were bullshit. I mean, I felt they were bullshit beforehand, but five-year plans are absolute bullshit. Your guideline. You know, I have some things that I'd like to accomplish in the next five years. And like, even, uh, let's go there. I like that discussion. Can we go there? Of course. So I'm not, I'm not concerned with becoming rich or famous off porn, but I will, really would like to create longevity and uh, like a consistent follow. It doesn't have to be the biggest one, but I just want like, it's almost like the porn is like a business card to some extent, or it's like some flashy commercial for the product that is my personality. And so when people see my porn, like, ah, she's hot. And then they start looking into me more and like, oh shit, she's like an acrobat and she does stand up comedy. And I do all this different shit. I'm, um, I just got cast for a lead role in a horror movie that's uh, being filmed in New York in 2020, early 2021. Nice. So I'm doing some mainstream acting too. And it's like, I just feel like I have this big personality and I think for in the porn is one small aspect of it. And so I'm looking for uh, my supporters to find me for, through whatever avenue that they're going to and, um, you know, just kind of co-sign all my fucking radical bullshit. And, and, I, and I feel like that's completely possible. And it doesn't, it's, doesn't have to be, um, it's really, I mean, I'm cute, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of hot bitches out there. I mean, I live in LA, so it's like there's beautiful women everywhere. So it's like, I don't, I don't, uh, 
base my self-worth off my appearance. I'm grateful for my appearance, but I'm, I'm like kind of, like I said, using it in a way where um, people can find my other talents. So the five-year goal is kind of based around that. Do all the things, the podcasts, all the movies, all the porn, all the stand-ups, all the aerial performances I can, and just get it out there. It's like I'm just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks and my audience is going to dictate more of and so I'm listening I respond to all the messages and I read all the comments and I check all the numbers on the forms to see like how people are finding me and and what what is it that they like about me so I can do more of it so I'm uh tuning into the audience with that kind of end goal but at the same time I do have to say I'm not fixated on the end goal of the five-year plan I'm actually completely present in the day-to-day journey like what we're doing right now i live for this shit i love it and so i don't care if only three people watch this podcast it's fine with me for your sake i hope a lot too definitely more than Um, three people i can promise you that yeah but you know it's like i i just enjoy in the moment what i'm doing because i feel like hey man a lot of people are um sitting in their houses feeling dejected and sad and so i kind of found my happiness inside my heart, but also in my pussy. And now I'll just put it all out there <laughs> on the internet for everybody to like, you know, I, I really do want to kind of like spread happiness legs simultaneously. I'm doing it. It's possible. It's great. I see that. I mean, for someone who's six months in, you're like, I'm doing all the fucking things. There are, yes. there are performers that have been in for years who have not had the level of drive you've had in six months. Like, well, I see in interviews, people, you know, the other porn stars will be like, well, what are you, so who are you? And they'll be like, I'm a porn star. And I'm like, well, that's what you do. That's not who you are. And so for me, it's like, I'm an exhibitionist and an entertainer and a really kind, loving human being, but I also do some porn. Yeah. And that's unfortunately, Part a problem with the industry in a lot of cases is people just build their whole identity around what they do for a living. And what sucks is for the majority of performers, this is not a career you can do forever. Some people do it for a really long time. I mean, in my knowledge, uh, Nina Hartley still performs. She has a very loyal following. And um, I hope she sees this interview. And Nina, I would love to work with you day cameras on or cameras off i don't care she's a brilliant woman and i tell that her following follows her because of who she is it's not just because of the porn that's maybe why they discovered her but she is incredible and um i was asked in another interview if i have like an idol in this industry and i was like no i don't idolize people but she's definitely somebody that i look up to for sure and so I have a variation of that business model, which is to just be authentic and be fucking real and let your people find you. Oh yeah. But Nina is 100% the exception, not the rule. The majority oh, yeah. of people, this is not the, there's a ticking clock on your career on for the majority of performers. So to have your whole identity built into this and have no other aspects of things you want to do, who you want to be on a public facing persona is, I think a problem and it's something that more performers should really grasp and be like, Oh, you know what? I'm not just a porn performer. 
But we should also apply this to just entertainment industry as a whole, not just porn. But this goes for stand-up comedians and this goes for actors. It's a, it's all entertainment is a, is a very difficult industry to break into and to sustain any sort of notoriety in. And, and so we're looking at, you know, most porn performers and the average length of a porn career is like three months. And the average age of, of porn performers is uh, 18 to 24 so um, if that's the case, I'm almost 39 and I'm still getting hired on a regular basis. And I, well, I made it past the three month mark. We're on the six month mark. And what I'm seeing is that we're, I'm now coming into the part of this where the numbers are just starting to go up, up, up and uh, getting more bookings. And um, I think for the people who've worked with me so far that I've it's a really good impression. So I um, have been hired by uh, certain companies more than one time. And coming into this industry as an adult, I show up early on set and try to make everybody's job not just easy, but pleasant. Because I have this gut feeling that there are a lot of performers in the industry that have terrible attitudes, show up late on drug, all the, all the stereotypical shit. And I think for the producers who've been working in this industry for many years, that they really appreciate it when somebody shows up and behaves professionally. And I desire to be around people I can learn from that have been doing this longer than me, that have something to teach me because that the learning aspect of it is what makes it exciting. So I just got a new video camera to shoot my content yesterday. Should What'd you get? Tomorrow. Um, it's a Sony. And, uh, I got a little exciting light on top for the POV stuff and I've been doing my own editing like 15 years, so um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm a good editor. <laughs> I like to my own work. I do a good job. Um, but I've had some producers in the industry also kind of help me tighten my editing skills. Like I'll show them my, like a video before I release it and they will help find, help me fine tune it. Be like, oh, you should zoom in here or color correct there or whatever. And so um, all the little things that it takes to make it successful for like, it's it's a joy for me to be learning so much. Otherwise, I would feel bored, and I don't do boring. Yeah, I can already tell that about you. Like, I feel like if you get bored, you'll lose interest real fast. I can already kind of tell that about you. But I'm honest with myself. If I start losing interest, and in, I say to myself, um, like with with my aerial career, I perform with you know, professional circus troops and as an independent circus artist for five years. And so it's like, do I want to go back into that full time? No, now is not like you said, this is this is an unprecedented time in history. And, and most circus performance troops are completely shut down because of COVID. So to my knowledge, there's no Cirque du Soleil happening right now. There's no, a lot of the troops in L.A. are not performing. And so I have been able to continue my circus art doing podcasts and some performances like this. And I'm um, uh, I just got hired to do a cam show on Cam Four coming nice, up in nice, a nice. few weeks, so I think they know how to hit them. But I'll be doing that naked. So um, I found a way to keep that dream alive. But if I ever get to the point with porn where it's not interesting to me, I don't feel beholden to it. I have so many other skills that I can always do something. I'm never. I don't feel trapped, and I don't feel trapped in real life because I don't feel trapped in my mind and in my heart. Like I feel like I have a lot of freedom to create my reality as I see fit according to where I'm located on the 
coordinates of human consciousness at any given point in time. Hell yeah. And I'm glad, I'm so glad that you don't feel that way because nobody should be in this industry if they feel trapped or beholden to be here. Like everyone in this industry should show up to set excited and yeah, everyone has an off day because it's work. It's still fucking work. But right. overall, everyone, everyone who should be involved in this should be excited to be here, should be thrilled that, like, I get to, you know, hopefully make something unique and put a stamp on, you know, exciting things for people's lives. Because it's amazing how you as you guys as performers sometimes do touch people, too. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of negative shit that comes your way, but there's I've definitely seen some really positives too where performers have really just you know can a dude or a fan has really connected with a performer and really done good things for them too did you see the scene um at the end of angela three with angela white and manuel ferrero they had like a very connected um moment of talking and hugging there was crying and it was like just really beautiful um that's i so i feel like in an ideal world all sex workers would love their job, but sex work throughout history has been a means for the desperate to survive, right? So I would say that the that maybe it is, it's hard to take a statistic. Well, it, it's, I don't, I, I, it's one thing that's really easy to gauge right now is since the pandemic started where there are so many desperate people, the amount of OnlyFans accounts that have been started. That's just a good gauge right there. Yes, I agree. Uh, so many people are like, I'm going to start an OnlyFans. I'm like, I don't think people understand that in order to make good money off of OnlyFans, I mean, ideally, you just need 100 people to give you 50 bucks a month. But people don't understand how much marketing that really takes because you have to be constantly uploading content. And really, your work, if you want to make that kind of money, say five grand a month, that's not that much in the world of OnlyFans, but if you look at how many accounts on OnlyFans, like only the very top fraction of a percent are really making money. And the rest of them are, there might be millions and millions of people of content creators on there, but most of those accounts don't get any attention and are not making shit. And so when people, every chick has an OnlyFans, it's like, okay, well, what's going to make people pay you month after month after month? Because your video of your fucking your boyfriend or masturbating, honey, is not enough. It's like you, people want to, they are subscribing to your, to your personality on large scale here because it's not just the fuck content. Like I, I upload um, a lot of shit on my OnlyFans that is various types of dancing, including the aerial pole dancing. Um, I do aerial hoop, which is like, it's like a steel hula hoop. It's called a lira. But I do, you know, a variety of things and I make these kind of like funny music videos of me, you know, just me doing my fucking antics and shit on the beach and people love that shit. Yeah, it's not something for them to necessarily jerk off to, but it's like brings them some, it's something different, you know, of like if you had a million accounts of girls masturbating, it's like you see that you can go on Pornhub for that too. Yeah. So if you want to support they want to see something that's unique and maybe when they do jerk off to you, they're like, Oh, you know, I, I have a gauge of how crystal's day was. And like, now I'm making, now I'm making love to crystal. I'm not just fucking her. Yeah. I think that, um, one for anyone who's, who's watching this, who's like thinking, being an OnlyFans, like I, I recently just, uh, 
kind of put two and two together in a way that I never had before and realized that OnlyFans is essentially just like your Facebook feed, but with the option to have explicit content. So if you're not talking to your audience the way that you would talk to your Facebook friends and you're not posting up every day here, oh, this is what I'm doing. Hey guys, what's going on? Oh, but by the way, you can watch me get, you know, face fucked upside down by some BBCs, whatever the fuck. That's really how it has. It's a social media feed. And I don't think people, they think you can just throw up a video once a week and that's going to be good enough. And it's actually not, you know, they want um, your reality TV channel in a way. Well, and that's what OnlyFans originally started off as, as a platform to basically be a paid Twitter, you know, and people are just like, oh no, it's just another platform for porn. It's not, it's not. There's a reason people can DM you on it. There's a reason people can contact you, but people are not taking full advantage. As you said, they're just like, oh no, I'll just put up this, you know, hot pick and, you know, me playing with myself and I'll be rich. Like it's the same thing of people being like, I'm going to be a YouTuber and make a lot of money. Like, no, no, it doesn't just happen. Oh God, the YouTube has really changed its its uh, paradigm so much over the years that even the top top fraction of a percent on YouTube is not anywhere near like what they were in the past. I mean, they've controlled it to the point where it's like it's an advertisement for other platforms. At this, it is, <laughs> and right. I'm always afraid that afraid platforms like OnlyFans are going to go that way eventually, where where they help. They just changed it recently where like the payouts changed or how much money you guys could charge for, you know, pay-per-views and shit like that. There's nothing stopping them from changing that again. Right. Because every time Bella Thorne or some similar person pulls a stunt on there, it's like they have to refine their business plan. Which is why I I, I think that in some regard... If you if you have a problem with the payout being twice, uh, what is it, once a month instead of twice a month? I thought well, it was weekly I mean, before. I, I honestly I don't know because I don't give a shit. It's not my main source of income. You know, I, I I'm a I I we're just I'm just mentioning this now in this podcast. But I uh, I've been in the cannabis industry for 20 years, and I I was a grower for just around 15 years, and then I've been doing in product distribution for the last five and, and when i say product distribution i don't mean moving weight i have done that in the past. now what i sell is lighting plastics and nutrients as, as a wholesale distributor so i sell to retail store locations and commercial growth facilities as well as doing consulting for them to you know basically tighten up the way their grows are running and um that's really the main source of my income and I, so i i will forever uh be grateful to the medicine that is cannabis for shaping my life in such a way that I was able to pursue really my wildest dreams. I mean, my involvement with the cannabis industry is what put me through circus training. It's what allowed me the time, energy, and to run the marathon that I ran, which is actually a very expensive endeavor. It's not as simple as just run out your door. Like, no, it requires a coach and uh, diet planning and all this type of stuff. And, um, it also is allowing me to come into porn without feeling like this nervous energy that if I don't get a shoot, I'm not gonna be able to pay my rent. And um, so I have a more kind of relaxed, which I do know performers that that it's it's their only source of income that is a very stressful position to be in because even if you've been in the industry for years, there's no guarantee that you're gonna keep getting booked every month. So well, it's almost it, like- a- it maybe a detriment if you've been in for years. Because 
oh, hey, I've shot for all the major companies. I've done this, I've done that. Being shot out, unfortunately, is a real thing. Right. And I, I think also, like, you know, how did you play your cards over the years? Because if you were in the industry for the first couple of years and you were a fall down drunk and then you got sober, it's like a lot of people in the industry might have former perception of you. So um, there's a lot more to it than meets the public eye. But um, well, I, I lovingly refer to porn as high school where a lot of people thought people thought that's it. Yes, a hundred percent. There's definitely those cliques of like the cool kids that like to like do the parties and like blah and all that together. And there's like a lot of people uh, that I met that are just heavily into letting out, minding their own business and like living healthy lives. But they like they are sexually expressive and um, don't carry sexual shame and like you know like just like to get down. And and um, I found a group of those people that I really like, but they're not necessarily like the popular kids in the game. But they have uh, they've had longevity. And their careers seem stable to me, Hell but they're necessarily the ones with the most attention on them. But you will in a ton of scenes over the years, so um, that's what I want to learn from. Well, and being your own production house effectively is the way to go in 2020. It's anyone who wants to get in the industry these days, you better be ready to hold the camera. You better be ready to edit. You, if you're just coming in to just be on camera talent, unless you're exceedingly lucky, you're not going to go far. Well, you would have to have like a, you know, a Viking Barbie-esque following or like, um, what's the other girl's name? Jesse Cakes or these girls who have like huge Instagram followings. Like they don't need to do mainstream porn because they already have their own following. And if you really track some of these girls' careers, it's like some started out with followers that went MySpace over to Twitter, over to Instagram, and they followed them across platforms over like a 10 year. I mean, none of these like, superstar social media girls were born overnight. I mean, these girls busted their ass to get where they didn't just happen out of nowhere. And so um, for somebody like me, who I'm, I'm in certain ways, uh, I am at least under the name Crystal Taylor, relatively new to social media. So that's part of the reason why I engage in mainstream porn because that because when I shoot scenes for these big companies, it puts my name and my face out there like an advertisement that I'm getting paid for, which is great and that I enjoy anyway. So it helps to kind of um, promote my brand and the company gets their call out of it and it's kind of a win-win for everybody. Oh yeah. But there, there are a lot of people that don't look at it that way. That look that show up on set, do their job, and then don't give that scene a second thought. I hear uh, producers, shooters, and directors being like, that girl didn't even bother to promote the scene we just did. Right. They don't grasp that, like, no, you got to be part of the marketing, which just helps your brand, helps the people that are hiring you. It's, it's a, a symbiotic relationship. Right. And a lot of these production companies give you um, like affiliate marketing, like dividends for, you know, you share the link and everyone who comes to it from, let's say, your Twitter website, then you get a portion of the income off that scene. And but you have to create you have to create those affiliate marketing accounts on whatever platform they're using that they're getting their payment processing. on. I think a lot of these girls are so young that they just maybe don't even read the fine print and the email and know that they're supposed to be doing that, don't have any guidance don't have any motivation. Maybe they come home from the shoot and um, whatever they did on set, they weren't actually spiritually and psychologically okay with. And so then they got to go home and use some drugs so they can deal with the emotions that are coming up. And so there's so much to it. It's like when you're 
monetizing your sexuality, it, um, it has profound rewards, but it also has profound impact. So it takes a lot of self-care to navigate the territory of your own consciousness in a healthy way to make it long-term sustainable. Otherwise, it just like any other portion of the payment industry, it will chew you up and spit you out because you really just couldn't hang. You didn't know yourself well enough. Oh, yeah. And this industry, sadly, it's getting better about it, doesn't care. If it chews you up and spits you out, it's like someone else new will replace you. Well, the world in, in a lot of ways, it's like everyone is, um, I think to some extent at this point in history, the world is engaged in survival consciousness, not thrival consciousness. Most people are just trying to survive. We're not, they're not even at the point where they can think about thriving, just trying to get by. So they actually don't have the capacity to give a shit about what anyone else is doing. They just are trying to get the fucking day, right? So the, our job as individuals is to prioritize and take care of ourselves. And that's where the thriving aspect of it can actually sink roots down. Because if you're not taking care of yourself enough, then you'll never even get the opportunity to thrive. Definitely. I'm trying to lay like a very fertile soil for want my career to go and i'm coming into it so late in the game like i'm all, i'm gonna be 39 soon so i may look uh much younger than i actually am but the reality is is there is a clock ticking and so i'm like all right here's the deal i'm just gonna just put it all out there and um hopefully everyone will love me enough to where this just goes swimmingly and if it doesn't i will just be like hey i i gave it my best shot and it's not gonna um dismantle me if it doesn't go would like it to go well at least you can say on your deathbed you're like i tried i fucking tried and i'm awesome as fuck and it's like if the numbers don't like basically there's some people who are famous who are shitty people and they're not really that cool but the marketing was just right and it hit at just the right time and they got their shit off they impressed the right person the right person thought they were cool and we're like okay yeah and then there's other people who um are fucking amazing at what they do. And then most people will never even know their name. And I think when you love who you are and you love what you, what you're doing, you are, you get the reward regardless of how the outside world perceives it. And so I feel like I'm, I'm already, I've already won. I've already won. I get to be me. I'm fucking, I'm doing flips on my fucking ceiling. while everybody else. I don't know. Eating grilled cheese on their couch. Who the fuck knows? Hey, whoa, whoa. Do not knock grilled cheese on your couch. That's pretty I don't right. eat cheese, but I don't have grilled cheese and I have a fucking couch. There's no couch in my work. All right, all right. <laughs> People, figure out a way to send Crystal a grilled cheese and a couch. Just do it. Please. Oh my god. <laughs> I would love that so much. Okay, I got while we're on grilled cheese, how do you take your grilled cheese? Oh my god, you this is gonna be really annoying. I very rarely eat cheese or bread. I can't even remember the last time that I had a grilled cheese. It has to be fucking years and years ago. But if you made me one right now and then somebody carried it in a couch, bet I would eat it because I, I don't normally, um, I have like a lot of disciplines to what I eat, but in the right circumstance, there's, to me, there's no such thing as good foods and bad foods, but the consistency of taking care of yourself. But I would eat a grilled cheese now. For sure. Well, if you gave. Okay. I can probably get you the grilled cheese. I can't get you the couch. 
I'll just lay on the floor. Okay. Done. <laughs> no, look, I got this, the big mat on the floor. That's actually really, it's memory foam. Yeah, but do you want crumbs on that? I mean, it's like that vinyl. It should be easy to clean. All right. As, uh, we're, as we're getting into the logistics of you eating a grilled cheese sandwich. So, so for me, for me, it's got to be sourdough and a sharp cheddar and possibly sharp cheddar and pepper jack. Can I come to your house? Sure. <laughs> that sounds so great. Oh, it's pretty fucking good. Use like a good salted butter on the pan. Uh, like ghee. I love ghee. It's so good. Uh, I've been using um, the fucking Irish oh, one. Irish. It comes in like a Kerry big gold. Yeah, Kerrygold. As an inside joke between myself and one of my best friends, she keeps talking this Irish voice and like wants to be the spokesperson for Carrie Gold. But I think at this point they might have blocked her on Instagram because they think she's crazy. But she's not. She's hilarious. She's got passion for their product. Why block her? I I, I want her to do the commercials. But I also want to back up a little bit because you're talking about your time in the cannabis industry. I got a question for you. What do you feel about? National prohibition ending on cannabis. Oh, I have such mixed. I have very mixed feelings about this. I might make some enemies with what I'm about to say. It's all right. Um, I started out in the cannabis industry in Humboldt County in the very early to the beginning of like right out of high school, and um, every person I knew was a black market grower, and though that was the time in history where you could get rich off what you're growing in your backyard, like easy six figures off of just growing in your fucking garage, just like a couple of like price of the pound is so high. So then as, you know, um, recreational and medical came in, it dropped the price of the pound. I saw these huge corporations, corporations I currently consult for come in and um, basically take over. And I always knew that that was going to be the case, but as an old school dreadlocked hippie that I still am on the inside. I had dreads for 10 years. Hilarious. I'll show you. I, I gotta see a picture of that. I, I wanna see it. They were my dreads were really beautiful. They were natural. They were like Well, you got that thick Sicilian hair. I get it. I mean It's the way they started. I didn't go to the salon to get the dreads. What happened was I had a super powerful acid trip and um I neglected to brush my hair for, uh, I think, three or four days, and boom, my whole head was locked, and I just didn't fight it. I was like, all right, man, this is what it is. <laughs> I, my, uh, my hair was dreaded in high school, like, similar story. I just, so in high school, I had hair down the middle of my back. Yeah. And, you know, I got, can't see it these days, but real thick curls when it's long. Oh, it's crazy to have thick, curly hair just locks up, like, overnight. It's like, it can happen instantly. Let me see if but, I can find a picture for you, but back to the prohibition talk. <laughs> right. So I still have this part of me that I just remember those glory days in the cannabis industry when it's like all my friends had new trucks and we all had like money to go on vacation and nobody ever was worried about paying rent. And like everybody was just killing it to where now it's like a lot of people that I knew have grown for 20, 30 years, like lost their family farms and like, it just, it actually really like that the black market right now is definitely having, it's like, it's having a moment where it's pretty fucking dope again. Not enough to <laughs> drag me back into growing, but tired of getting my fucking hands dirty. I, I outgrew that phase of the game. Um, 
but I think I always look back at those concrete days in the industry and, and I just think to myself sometimes like, man, I wish I could get in a time capsule and go back uh, because it really was so much, it was so much um, more glorious than I think I could even bribe with words. Uh, I, I do want to work on um, writing a book about my experience back then because a lot of stories that I could just seem like unbelievable um but it was real and I, any of my friends that I'm uh, any of my friends that uh lived that time period with me could easily validate that I'm telling the truth and um so I see the industry still shifting towards where it was inevitably always supposed to go and there's part of my consciousness fully accepts it and then there's another part of my consciousness it's like man this damn shame because it put there's always going to be a place for black market activity. 100%. I mean, bootlegging still happens in alcohol just to avoid the taxes. And like, I mean, basically it's like this, like a lot of these big companies that took over, it's like, yeah, they'll, they'll produce their, like their Budweiser and their whatever, fucking Photoshop past blue ribbon. But there's always going to be people like the microbrew. And that's where like some of these black market growers, the shit they're turning out is so fucking incredible that there is no competition for it. So that part's always going to thrive. But the, the state is much higher because uh, you have to have access to really coveted and be able to procure them with really great levels of skill to command the same type of price that maybe back in the day, some like, A's to double A's could have could have commanded the same price, you know. And um, I knew when to tap out of uh, of being a grower because I've always had a tremendous respect for cannabis as a medicine, and it, I believe that it does have a spirit, and that spirit graced my life with um, so much abundance in a multitude of ways that when I felt like my heart wasn't in it anymore and I wanted to explore things like how big I could stretch my asshole. I decided to just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm teasing, but ju I just knew when to tap out of it because my heart wasn't in it. In the, in the beginning, when I first started growing, I thought it was this amazing, like, you know, I would say the first decade, I'd say the last five years of growing, I it's slowly, I didn't want to admit to myself and enjoying it in the same way. And it's because I felt the industry shifting and I was getting intimidated that I couldn't keep up. And the reality was that I didn't want to keep up anymore. And that was hard to admit to myself too, you know? Because when you got drunk to your ass and you're like, I'm this badass grower chick, you don't want to let that, that identity go because it, it to some extent, is... Um, I almost got fooled that the costume I was wearing and the job I was doing was who I was. And it took me stepping away from growing weed and cutting my dreadlocks off to realize that that identity I had created was only one small aspect of these rich plays with fantasy that I have and I can recreate myself to be any version. And I was like, okay, well next I went away with the circus. And so I did that. And um, I'm grateful for the time I had doing that. And I'm also very grateful that I was smart enough to stop when I wasn't really feeling it anymore. And it was the hardest, it, that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life was the, I remember the day that I, I had, um, hired a big crew of people and we um started dismantling my last grow take it down like taking the i had rolling benches you know and i'd taken all the shit out of the room and taking apart my air filtration system and selling off all the excess nutrients that i had and stuff amendments stuff was, and it was 
rough. And I was like, I remember thinking like, am I making a fucking huge mistake? Like, I, I don't know if this is really a bad move or not. And uh, I continued to question that for even a few years after I stopped and then um, safely can say today that uh, it was absolutely the right choice. There was no mistake. I knew it. And it was just hard to admit because it was such a beautiful uh, period of my life. I was like so sad to kind of close that door, but I had such curiosity about well, what else, what other kind of magical shit can I make happen? 100%. And especially as you were saying, you identified with being a grower so much, it's hard to change things up like that. Totally makes sense. And I get a lot of abuse from people in the, not my friends, but like random you know, you get these people on the internet that they're just really obsessed with smoking pot all fucking day long. And they're like, why aren't you a grower anymore? I'm like, motherfucker, you have no idea. You have no idea the type of gangsters that I was involved in. For- Get the fuck out of here. Keep <laughs> Some keyboard warriors telling me I should still be growing weed. I'm like, I don't want to do it anymore. I, it's it's very isolating lifestyle being a grower. Even if you're working on like commercial grows, it's like it, it takes over your life. You have That's what you're doing all the time. And uh, I think I'm an entertainer. And so being um, a farmer wasn't really fulfilling what's going on in my soul. Well, and on top of it, it's a potentially dangerous gig. Even in the day, you know, here and now where grows are legal, even like a completely legal grow can be potentially dangerous. People still try to knock over growers for product or money. You know, there's still plenty of stories of that shit. Everything I do is dangerous. I mean, look, look the fuck I was just on the ceiling. That's dangerous too. I have to drive my car for a couple hours. That's dangerous. So it's like, you know, I just think, uh, thank God that I have the freedom and the ability to pursue the things that I love for that reason alone. Like I, I, that's just like being trapped into a certain job because you don't have any other options is a, is a, terrible place to be and um so i am still very grateful i'm so grateful to the spirit of cannabis that provided me with such an awesome life i was able to transition out that i'm doing what i am doing now and it's the whole it's just a big stamp of gratitude over the whole thing thank god i got to be like that for years it was awesome so i spent my 20s like yeah there's far worse ways i spent my 20s you know doing a job a corporate job i fucking hated so and that's torture yeah the corporate environment is by nature there to stifle your individuality and and i sometimes think there's nothing more rude than pleasantries and stepping into an office environment every day it's all pleasantries a lot of bullshit hey how are you doing buddy but you really want to stab the guy it's like fuck out of here oh yeah well i don't want to pretend like that i was in a very unique corporate i mean i worked for a large corporation but i was doing blue collar work for a good chunk of it but it's still yeah, it is yeah, soul it crushing. Is. And it's unfortunately, there's so many people that are just never willing to make that jump because it gets comfortable. You get institutionalized to these soul crushing jobs. The consistency of the paycheck, even if it's a shitty, the, the, there's an allure to that consistency because if you know all you got to do is show up and maybe function at like 40 to 60% to get that consistency. It's a lot harder to show up to put in a hundred percent to maybe be able to pull it off or not. And that's, I, I'm a risk taker and I've always been willing to bet on myself to come through. And you are too, you're doing it. Like, yeah. We're doing it. We win. <laughs> and 
especially in entertainment, I feel like, especially in this town, this town is full of so many fucking flaky people that that drive will get you further than talent, and just being consistent and being willing to put in the work will get you pretty fucking far. You gotta have some talent, but I feel like if you're willing to put in the work and consistently put in the work, you will surpass people that are just trying to skate by on just their talent. I'm willing to bust my ass and give it everything I have because, and, and not even necessarily just for the end goal, but because I take pride in what I'm doing and I love it. I just shot with somebody last night and I remember having that thought when I was like driving to the set being like, well, I'm so excited to make this shit fucking pop. And I did. And I was, it was so good. It helps that he was a talented performer too, but I love every time I get to go to set. I'm like, a lot of my friends are working the kind of dull jobs, you know, um, and have like multiple kids and like their lives are stressful in a completely different way. And I just look at like the dichotomy that is my existence in comparison to theirs. And uh, I feel like on some frequency, I have to be outrageous so that my besties can live vicariously. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I have plenty of friends that are like, I live vicariously through you. I don't do it for them, but I'm happy that it brings them joy. It's validating when people say that, like, to us, I think. It is, but I also, I guess, it's become routine for me. Like, I don't think of going to, you know, an industry party or being on a carpet or any of these things are, like, fucking, woo, anything crazy because it's just routine at this point. But you still register openness in the eyes of, like, oh, yeah. the people. Like, I'm doing it. This is so cool. <laughs> I, I do consciously register, but it, it, at this point for me, doesn't trigger those feelings anymore. Yeah, the first handful of times is like, oh, this is exciting. On now it's just a conscious level of like, yeah, this is still really cool. I'm really fucking lucky to be here. I am yeah. dumb lucky that I fell into this shit. You know, it's not like, not like I woke up, I, I was in elementary school, and like, I want to work in porn. Yeah, it was just I honestly from the first time I ever saw porn was like it wasn't like oh I want to watch more than that and more of that it was like I want to make fucking porn and it this was like so many years before into porn in reality but I just remember that it did trigger that when I saw my first porn I was like I thought it was really fake the, the particular porn that I saw the first time I was like kind of um like a late not a late, but I started having sex young, but I didn't see my first porn until 10 years after I had already been fucking and having threesomes and getting DP'd and all this shit. So when I first saw my first porn, I was like, yeah, this shit's mad fake. I've been fucking for years and I don't fuck this. Cause it was like a lot of the rhetoric, you know, like the, I am fucking pussy type of shit. And, um, but I was like, I want to make videos and so i had been filming my own fuck videos and not posting them anywhere for like many years what happened to the old collection well i can't post that shit because i need to have consent forms from those from those people so i would never release that shit it's just sitting on hard drives or i think a lot of them probably got lost as i transferred cell phones but it was always a thing that i was doing i was just like i just thought it was just go back and get some 2257 paperwork. Like, I know we haven't talked in like a decade. Can you sign this real quick? Oh my God. I wouldn't want to release that content. It's not up to, I have a, now I have a certain standard of what I want my shit to look like. Oh, but so, I, I'm sure some of your fan base would eat that shit up. 
Like probably. And I, I sometimes go through my, my uh, content and just things that I feel like if I don't really think it's awesome, I don't want to put it out there. And, and it's not that other people want to, pr- I have, I have just got somebody yesterday asking for that old stuff too. And I'm like, sorry, it's like not, uh, it's just not even for sale. And some of it's really, uh, it's really good. <laughs> I'm sad. I can't really say. <laughs> so you should track down those people, get that paperwork, do it. No, they're like not. Um, some of the people in the videos are too well known to want to release that. They have identifying tattoos and are more public figures that wouldn't want that shit released. Well, get some blurring, just you know, mosaic over the tattoos. Do some yeah. after effects and like just have it. You know, the mask cover the tattoos. It'll be fine. It's not that hard. Floating pizza emoji or something. Yeah, just hell, just do it like old school fucking you know, the CERN show and just blur. You can make it happen. You can be like, I've been like this forever. Like this is not an act. There's also no, it's definitely not an act. The also the other part of it is that some of the uh, content that I filmed in the past is also would be um, like considered hardcore kink, and I'm not actually trying to means just because i've done that shit doesn't mean that that's what i want to put out into mainstream porn because i don't necessarily want to be classified as that type of performer so like for example if i was going to be i'm doing triple anal in my first couple of months in porn and now we're going to shove a pineapple up my ass then that's what the audience expects me to be extreme every time and at this point life stunts are not as attractive to me as connections I, you can stuff 10 dicks in your ass and it's not going to have the same impact on your audience as maybe some like really good energy with another performer. So it's not always about doing the most outrageous shit. I've done a lot of really fucking outrageous comments and I've already kind of felt that out. Okay. I'm capable of doing that. Is it something I want to do every time? Is it the type of performer I want to be? Stage of the game. Maybe at you know, well, maybe we'll gear up to that and we'll, and I'll start getting crazier and crazier and just be like, Hey, by the way, there's this exists in me too. Right now, um, working with people in the industry a lot longer than me, like, uh, in this last couple of months, um, shooting with Manuel was great. Um, I also shot with Alex legend and, um, Derek Pierce, and Isaiah Maxwell. And so these guys have been at this for a really long time, right? And Jesse Lee, she's been in porn for 10 years. So shooting with these type of people who are not like new performers, but they have so much to offer me. That is um, so valuable to me. And I'm like so grateful for all of you guys. You're all great. <laughs> well, on the connection front, at least for me as someone who can, you know, consumes porn on occasion, uh, back in the day, people like Jenna Jameson, because they were superstars, because Jenna looked like she had a really intense connection with her partners in almost every scene, even if it, I'm sure it wasn't real all the time, but every time she was on camera, it looked like this intense connection that she was having the time of her life every fucking scene. Right. And to some extent, I feel like I am in it. And when, you know, there's certain elements of porn are a performance it's entertainment it's not sex education you know and it's not supposed to mimic real life sex or the fuck we want to watch it most people are having some boring sex right it's well on to top be- of it you know yeah. being a missionary can feel fucking great or plenty of positions feel great they don't aren't necessarily aesthetically pleasing a missionary is my favorite and no it's not it's 
that's that's like the easiest way for me to come and it's uh it's not, yeah it's not that exciting looking but i think that the thing is that for me like i'm so exhilarated to be uh doing to be just doing porn in general that what if i look like i'm having the time of my life on camera it's not always because i'm super attracted to the partner i'm with but i'm so fucking excited that i'm almost 39 and then I'm in mainstream. It's a, I'm feel so thrilled by it. That's the energy people are picking up on. So it doesn't need to be where it's like, Oh, this is the hottest guy with the biggest dick. Like that shit doesn't even matter. It's, uh, I think that this is what it's, is at the root of it for me. Like I'm really bad at like staying on shallow topics. It's always got to go to like the deepest thing with me. And that's just how I, that's just how I am. It's, so when I was uh, when I was born, I was actually born with cancer, and it is a fucking miracle that I survived that tumor because I was only six pounds, and the tumor was um, like the size of a softball, Oof. and the surgery to remove it was really extreme. And, um, I wound up losing uh, my adrenal on my left side, so I only have one adrenal gland. So so this is like part of the reason why I think I'm like obsessed with taking care of myself the way I do, but to know that like I'm really lucky to be alive and that this is the life I'm living. It's like, that's what's coming through in my seats. Like I'm, I am hysterical to be fucking in the best way possible. I'm like, yeah, I'm on camera and I don't feel bad about it at all. I feel awesome about it. So that's the energy that makes it like, look like I'm having the time of my life. Cause I am, I, I feel lucky to be alive. Hell yeah. Straight up. <laughs> So I'm curious, do you think this is it? Do you think this is, we only get this life? Do you think there's an afterlife? I don't know the answer to that. And I, I mean, I'm a Pisces. Well, it's just your opinion. Not there's Obviously, you don't know the answer. I mean, I've done a lot of psychedelics. I, I, I've, um, I started doing ayahuasca ceremonies in my very early 20s, like when I first started growing weed and going to Burning Man and Rainbow Gatherings and all that type of shit. And I'm, you know, over the years have taken LSD a lot medicinally. Like I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not into hard drugs at all. And I don't drink any alcohol, but I do promote psychedelics, not for everybody. Cause I think that it can really fuck some people up if they don't, you know, some people have a tendency towards like certain mental illnesses that I don't think psychedelics are a good mix. But for me, They've been an incredible healing tool. And uh, some of the things that I've seen through, um, you know, ayahuasca ceremonies and maybe um, dimethyltryptamine in a crystalline form. I mean, I've seen the other side of the veil. I can, I can explain to you that the things I've seen on the other side are um, there's we're in a third dimensional reality right now. There are dimensions that the human mind can't even perceive. And I've seen a tiny microscopic fraction of what else there is. And it was so, I was so beautiful that um, I trust that whatever happens to us when, when uh, we pass, whether we come back here or not is uh, there's an order to this. All of nature obeys balance. So uh, I feel very peaceful and settled about whatever it's going to be. And, it, and I don't really care either way. If this is it, fuck yeah. If there's more, which I think there is, yay, let's see where it goes, you know? I personally think this is it. And that's part of what, what causes me to grab and like fucking try to get everything I can out of this life because I don't think there's shit else after this. Well, maybe not in the in the particular form of consciousness that we're in now. Like, you know, there's other, there's total other realms. Right, but if we're not in the same 
consciousness than we are now, we still don't exist anymore. So sure. Who knows? I don't know if I'm right. I don't know if I'm fucking right. I mean, I ain't been dead. At least I hope not. I think it's interesting both of us. Like, even if the, even if like, um, let's say that we do think totally differently. Yeah. Like you're like this is it, and I'm like I think there's a lot more. Either way, both of us are grabbing by the balls right, right here, right now. Yeah, and and I think that's really like what it comes down to. You and I are on the same page on that. I don't understand, and I kind of kicked myself for taking as long as I did to get off my ass because I was institutionalized. I was comfortable. Yeah. In my discomfort for a long time. I grew up in the Midwest where, like, though Chicago is a major city, you're still, like, kind of instilled to, like, get a good job, you know, marry off, pop out 2.5 kids. And it it's difficult for anyone to step out of taught lessons like that. If that's what but you're... I think, I think those restrictive periods that are dumb necessary because they give us perspective that once you break that mold and you swing to the other side where it's like, you're really like living in your creativity and your effervescence is just like, you know, it's bubbling up and you, and you feel amazing that you have perspective to be grateful for what we're doing now. You know, I think if I hadn't had some periods like that in my life where I felt, you know, controlled and institutionalized that I, I, there's no way that I would have the level of gratitude that I do now. And so that's what I meant by the, the balance thing. You know, it's like, that's not the fun part of balance, but it is necessary. And I wouldn't go back and change the course of how my life has unfolded because all of it has mounted to um, bringing my consciousness to where it is now. And I, I like, you know, I, I feel uh, generally super like Zen, peaceful, and I think that's more important than happiness. Happiness is a mood. Peace is like, state of being happiness is temporary yeah sometimes i'm sad and i still feel peaceful i'm like well at least i'm still me so it's good. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the thing like if you were never sad you wouldn't appreciate the happy moments you can't have good without having bad yeah it's just how life is so like happiness is something that you got to constantly pursue it's you can't just be like i'm happy and I'm gonna. Um, this is gonna last forever. It won't. It doesn't. You always yeah, I have. Like, I have just a different set of semantics surrounding it. For me, happiness is a thing that I constantly generate. So it's like if I'm feeling, I have these moods where I'm like, oh my god, fucking 2020. This year is bullshit. But I know what I need to do. I need to put on these socks and my roller skates and get my ass outside. And the second I start, the second I start roller skating, it takes two to three minutes before my whole mood is completely shifted. They're, roller skating makes me happier and, and doing aerial, but roller skating in the sun, I feel like is an instant antidepressant for me. And it's something that I can't, it's not like I can't pursue it. I have to generate it. I got to put the skates on and go fucking do it. And so it's, it's like, I make it happen. You know what I mean? No, I, I totally get that. I totally yeah. get that. How long has roller skating been part of your life? When I was a kid, I fucking lived on my skates. Um, I originally started off on quad skates, like pull on my, my roller skates right here. Let me show you. I just put new wheels on them, but those need to be, um, the toe stops need to be probably replaced pretty soon. But I, I beat the shit out of this particular pair. But I, um, I started off on quad skates as a kid. And then I remember at some time during like elementary school, I got introduced to rollerblades, which are super cool because 
Um, there's just different mechanics to it. So it's a whole different set of tricks that you can do, different balance. And uh, I lived on those fucking rollerblades. I mean, I was like playing street hockey with the boys and I was on my ice skates all winter long because I grew up in um, in New York, uh, on Long Island. And and so uh, I don't, I most of my life, I've pretty much just been obsessed with rollers. Nice. <laughs> it's a to do. And it's like, you know, the only time you see somebody sat on their roller skates is when they're on the ground because they have falls. <laughs> Other than that, it's just, it's, um, childlike, not childish, childlike. Children have like a sense of wonder where they can go out and there's nothing happening and make it an awesome time. And for me, that's what the roller skating does is it takes a fucking dull day and makes it absolutely spectacular. I spend a fair amount of time like roller skating in rinks when I was a kid. Like going to roller rinks was a thing. I could, yeah. I could never fucking rollerblade though. Like for whatever reason, I could never get the mechanics of heel stopping. Like I just, I T stop. I drag the back, the back, the back skate. But it's a little. I think his blades are a little bit hard on your ankles, like because you really have to stabilize, you know. And like you see, you kind of have to make them tight. And if it's like I, sometimes I skate with my uh, quads like laced tightly, but you can't do that on blades. It's too much for your ankle so i don't blame you if you prefer quad. i think quads are sexier fucked with my roller skates on it's fucking hot you're the real life roller girl oh for sure i percent when i saw that movie i was like oh my god i am that bitch and that and it's really interesting because a lot of people have told me over the course of my life that i look like heather graham and i'm like oh my god i love her so much that it's like the best compliment ever we just gotta get you an outfit that you can pull off with like one string apparently what do you mean? There's that scene where uh, Roller Girl and uh, fucking Dirk Diggler hook oh, up for the first time. The yeah, she just pulls the string and it's like off. Yeah, I have, I have that. But I generally, <laughs> generally roller skate actually um, in a G string. I know you know this. You've seen the footage and shit. So maybe. that's how I skate. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, that's how I skate. It causes fucking scene wherever I go. But that's part of the fun. It's <laughs> part of the fun. What's I like the shot value. <laughs> <laughs> or do people try to stop you and take pictures with you? Or like, what kind of craziness happens? Take, somebody offers, uh, like, ask me if they can um, take a picture with me. I generally just do it. Bye bye. Take a picture with me. But no, most are incredibly polite, and like, I like to take pictures. Part of the thing I like about it is that I give permit. I give permission for people to. Um, judge me like if you're skating around and you're basically naked and you're wearing dental floss in your ass you give for people permission to judge your body they can love you they can hate you think whatever the fuck they want i'm i'm cool with it you know because like i know who i am but what i see is that a lot of people are like damn i wish that i fucking had that confidence they're like oh my god you're beautiful thank you for blessing us with your presence and i i feel like by being a spectacle in that way it is entertaining for people and it does bring them a lot of joy. I mean, sometimes when I'm like skating in Long Beach or Huntington Beach or San Diego or whatever beach I'm on, because I'm like big on beach skating, I'll be skating by and everyone's like waving and smiling at me. And I'm just like, it's when you, when you're skating that fast and you see that many people smiling and waving, it just feels like a fucking sunshine daydream. And I, you, it's like I'm putting that happy energy out and then everybody's face is mirroring it back and I fucking live for it. And 
I feel like that's a good representation of real life versus the internet because probably a bunch of those smiling faces would be talking shit if it was on the internet. Just because okay, I'm not, and that stuff that what I'm talking about, that's not content. That's well, my real ass. Well, no, life. but I, I know, I know it's real life, but I'm but just like, saying like people get judgmental on the internet just because they feel they can because it's safe to do so. Just, just or to re- invoke a reaction to get someone to pay attention to them. Where in real life, they're like, they see you and they're like, oh my God, hi. Yeah, the only people out of the say something nasty on the internet or in real life are people who hate themselves because anybody who is happy and loves themselves does never goes out of their way to knock another person down so i always know that hurt people hurt people and so the, the nasty comments i always like like wow the world it kind of is um it's indicative of the state of pain in the world and the, instead of it making me feel bad about myself it lets me know that i have a lot more work to do to try to bring some entertainment and joy to like a mass of really people who are in a lot of I don't consider myself in that category because I figured out how to um, self-validate how to find my self-worth from what I think instead of what's especially important you know like I should I I was concerned when I first came in that um, I was going to have to get like bodily plastic surgery like implants or like a bbl or something like that and um actually my agent told me uh no of course you don't need to do that we're it's you're good um and i felt a sense of relief for my bank account and for (laughs) for my body (laughs) if if your agent had convinced you to try to do it would you have done it or would have been like no you're wrong no i would have um just stopped shooting if that's what it comes down to if i i i mean i don't I don't have anything against it because I have plenty of friends who have a lot of work done head to toe. I have some friends that have everything on their body done. It's just that for me, I, I love the way I look just like this and I don't want to change it. It just comes down to like, do you like wearing red or do you like blue? You like loose clothes or do you like tight clothes? It's like, well, this is the version of myself where I feel the most comfortable in my skin. And I feel like to alter my body would for me be like putting on like the dreadlocks, like putting on a costume. So I'm okay with this version of myself. I'm not just okay with this version of myself. I look, when I look in the mirror, I actually really love what I see. And I feel like we, as a culture are like, you should love yourself. You should love yourself. But then when a woman actually does it, it fucks with people. So I'm actually doing it publicly. I'm like, here I am in my bikini with my fucking, you know, I have like my hand, my tits are just a handful and it's like, I don't have like big ass or anything. And it's just, I just have an athletic body cause I work out all the time and I'm, and I accept it and I put it on display for those who want to appreciate it or those who want to, uh, you know, uh, judge it or talk shit about it. It's like, you just do whatever you got. I'm happy. <laughs> you can't, nobody can fuck it up. <laughs> That's awesome. That's fucking awesome. And honestly, I feel like no woman should get plastic surgery unless they're doing it for themselves. Some, I think some people don't know. Oh, uh, some people prefer that look, which is totally okay. So I have certain, like I have a friend that looks like a Barbie doll. And like, I actually love that. um, She allows herself to express herself in that way. Right. That's what feels good to her. That's the version of her that she likes the most more power to her. I have other friends who felt pressured into getting plastic surgery and hate their breast implants. 
that's not okay because they didn't, they, those are the wrong reasons and they're not actually happy with it. So I feel like, you know, you really got to like, kind of like, it's always back to the same shit. You got to know who, who the fuck you are. And then that will make your choices, you know, easier to palette afterwards. 100%. 100%. Like, I like fake tits. I mean, I've definitely been with people that don't have them. I've been with people that do have them. But the idea of being like me trying to convince a potential partner, like, you should get your tits done because it's something I like. Just, it's not cool. It's like, if a partner was like, I'm going to get my tits done and they are doing it for themselves. But at the end of the day, really like for in that type of situation, it's like you're with the chick for who she is. And right. if, the, if she's got big tits or not, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I can, I work in strip clubs for nine years. I'll tell you all day long that I had to were really into fake tits being like, you are the best in here. Not because of my tits, but because I'm good at uh, connecting. I'm good at connecting with people. And that's what those people want. So breast size is really becomes irrelevant to some extent at that point. Well, and well definitely. I feel strip clubs, dudes are there to buy a fantasy. They're not just there to like see a naked girl. Right. This is part of the reason like strip clubs really have no appeal for me anymore. Because it's just like, I'm... I don't knock anyone who goes. I still work in them occasionally, but it's, I'm not interested in buying a fantasy anymore. The next time I dance, I would love for you to come watch me do my stage set just because I'm a phenomenal pole dancer. But other than that, you're, you can be excused from the strip clubs. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, and I'll still go if it's a social event or something like that, but. Right, right, right. But in my twenties, in my, you know, my early twenties, they're like, yeah, let's go to the fucking strip club. They'll be awesome. Like, but it was like Vegas clubs. I was never into because it's like the the girls there are generally oh, just on the like you want to dance, you want to dance. They're not the majority of them are because the clubs are so busy are just trying to hustle, and that right. super wasn't appealing. Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever get it out of my system. I just, I just, I just love strip clubs. <laughs> Some of them are born like. Um, I worked at two clubs in particular that were like literally polar opposites of each other. One of them was like an all white club. The other one's like an all black club. This one, they only play electronic music. This one, it's only just like trap slappers. And I fucking, I like the urban club way more. Like I did, it was just way more fun. You know, it was all stage though. And um, I just don't know if I'll ever get over strip clubs. I love that. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I just, yeah. I spent a number of years as a roadie for feature dancers. Yeah, yeah. So I was in clubs just working, and it's just like... Uh, oh, it changes it when you were... As a dude, when you work at the clubs, like, it, it kind of makes it like, um, you're not phased anymore, are you? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I was pretty much over them before I started doing that, but once I was, like, on the road with features and in the club working, it was just like, I'm super over this. I would always give, like, the staff at the strip clubs, like, lap dances once the once the uh, we were done for the night. Because I always felt like these guys are in here around all this pussy every night, and all these girls are like, "Fuck you! I want to, I want to cash out!" Like, and they're just rude to them because they get, it's like, um, they're not getting mad at the girls. So I'd always be like giving the staff lap dance because I like, I feel like to a certain extent that I'm, I like the healing nature of sexuality, like. I heard I was I heard Nina Hartley talk about in one of her interviews how she was working in a hospital I believe, 
and then she was dealing with these sick old men and that you know she'd have to be like sponge bathed and specifically instructed like not to touch and how she just wanted so badly to like be able to give them a hand job and get them off as like an act of loving kindness but she would like lose her fucking job for doing that right and like I have those type of feelings about people all the time. Like, oh, I wish I could just like jerk that person off so they wouldn't just have like be so negative and just be having such a shitty time. <laughs> like, get that poison out. Just get that poison out. Yeah, I turn into a fucking asshole when I don't come frequently enough. If I go too long without an orgasm, it, I feel like this doom cloud just comes over my life. And then as soon as I bust a nut, I'm like great again. I think that's for everybody. I think that's fucking for everybody. Like, it just releases the chemicals and it's just like oh it's clear this the sun is coming in through the clouds yeah i think sex is my religion to some extent like if there ever was a religion in my life it's like i just i need to be able to express that it is innately like part a huge part of who i am trying to put that one in a box is like just waiting for a fucking explosion to happen and not a good one like i need to have that well well i feel a lot of humans need to have that and just lying to themselves about it. Yeah. And I think like for people who are, are like super religious that they live a lifetime tucking that away and that it's fucking must be torture for them. You know, speaking of religion and sex, did you hear about the story about the priest having a threesome in new Orleans on the altar? What? Yeah. This just happened like a week or two ago. Shut up. Yeah. A priest yeah, in a new Orleans right. parish. Parish was found having a threesome with women of age on the altar and filming it. But where did the murder hornets go? <laughs> I mean, at this point, like, what are you supposed to say? It's like, this year just gets fucking more crazy. What's next? You know what I mean? Like, really? I'm not, I can't even be shocked by that, but that is fucking dope. And I would like to recreate that. Well, but it just shows, like, there is no reason in this day and age that the clergy shouldn't be able to have consensual sex. Totally. I would be like, Father, are you ready for my holy sacrament? Father, I have a confession. You're sexy. Father, I have sinned. <laughs> that's Father, so I want to see what's under them robes. Oh my God, that's rich. Fine. That's really amazing. Uh, it's just, I mean, this is, I have problems with organized religion. I, I do. Really? I would not expect that from you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you're all about it. It's just one of those things where it had its place. It served its purpose. But and I'm I'm A okay that it brings comfort to some people, but the shit needs to adapt. It's yeah, amazing. Uh, Stockholm syndrome usually does bring comfort to like people who are being like heavily coerced and controlled. But we're let's not even go into that because I like talking about how you want to talk about my asshole in her Gloria. It's a way happier subject. Uh, yes, your asshole is a much happier subject than re repressed clergy members. You're I don't watch politics and religion on social media or in real life because I just um uh I feel like I gotta. I have to spend a lot of time um, cultivating my happiness, and so engaging in stuff that like fucks it up. Like I don't want to argue with people about anything, especially not over shit I don't have control over, like politics and religion. So I just I have stayed off those subjects for my entire life. Like I just don't 
on any, even my personal social media platforms, you will never find political posts. I just don't do it. I posted something on Twitter recently that was like, hey, newsflash, there is no left and right wing. There's only a top and a bottom. And we're on the bottom getting fucked. Don't matter. Non-consensually. <laughs> we're non-consensually getting fucked on the no bottom. No Yeah, no lube. Like, it's it's not yeah. a nice thing. But it's not like, even spit. They're not even spitting. Right in. <laughs> I end up going on religion, and I don't, it happens, and I don't really want to argue with people. I just have my thought process on it. Same with politics. Like, I, I have thoughts on it. I generally don't get into lengthy debates because anyone who's really looking to have a lengthy debate in this day and age has their mindset. You're not going to be able to convince them. You're just wasting your energy. I'm, I'm looking for ways to connect with people first and foremost. And so topics are not on my radar. And also, fun fact, I've never owned a television in my life and I don't watch TV. I only read books. I know, right? I'm so woke and I'm so cool. No, I fucking am. I don't <laughs> watch books. I spend all my time spreading my legs and climbing up to the ceiling and flipping out my roller skates. And like all my time goes towards doing dope shit. And that's why the fuck I'm dope. So I don't watch TV and I don't know what's going on enough to even have an argument. And it's eliminated. Like people who are into politics, they want to argue long about this. And then at the end of the day, you look okay, this year you spent this many minutes angry and arguing over some shit you have no control over, so I am spending all of my time trying to connect and do my pursuits and not tune into that shit, so I'm not even educated enough to argue with you. I don't even know. I don't know enough about it. I'm allowed to do that. I'm allowed to have that freedom. So people are like, well, you know, you don't have an opinion. You're part of the problem. I'm like, save it. <laughs> save it, bro. What was the last thing you read, though? Uh, I'm reading Sex with Dawn right now, like getting stages of it. I like reading um, uh, anything that's so. So I have like a lot of different hobbies, and I like to read like kind of how how to better whatever skill it is. But I also like reading about like the history of human sexuality and why are we attracted to what we're attracted to, like you know cultural influences over sexuality. I like reading some history stuff, and I just I have like I'm very hungry for knowledge, and I always have been. I've always been like a impeccable student when I was in school so I retain the information that I read and um that's what I like to do when I get free moments is to just kind of find any subject I'm interested in I research it to the extreme I just want to know hey that's fucking awesome like so many people run through life just like with a vague notion and then just stick to it and like don't know what the fuck they're talking about but just say it confidently they don't take the time to actually learn about what their interests are they just kind of half-ass it maybe i don't know what i'm talking about all i know is what i what i think i know isn't that everyone i don't know i think some people are really convinced that they fuck is up but i'm i'm just open to that you know my seem to change over the years and so i'm at where i'm at now well well i think it's a sign of intelligence if like you know what you know but if someone presents something that's compelling that you know, makes you do a 180. You're open to doing the 180. Like, I am. I am okay with. Um, I'm at peace with the fact that I can change my mind at any point in time, for the better. I think things are one way, and then I learn and get to a point where I know better. God, I'm not rigid in my beliefs. I'm not stuck anymore. I'm not coerced or controlled into anything. And I find that beautiful. And I also feel like in points in my life where I was like, you know, like when I had the dreads for 10 years, I was like sticking to that identity. And it was a cage that I built 
itself. And so, like, I remember looking in, um, I remember looking here, I got rid of the dreads, and my hair was just back to, like, regular hair again. Because I cut them short and then brushed out the last couple of inches. I was, I had already, like, I wasn't into, like, shaving my whole I already went through the incident, and we're, we're not going to go there again, so... I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh my God, that's the per- I'm the person that I was before I put on that costume for years and fooled myself into thinking that I was completely different. But actually, I, when I was looking in the mirror, I was like, it's been in there. And now we're back to, in some regard, it was like square one because it's like, you know, Bob Marley says like, you can run away, but you can't hide from yourself. Oh, yeah. So it was like that. It was like when I took off the dread costume, I was like, okay, well, we're back to dealing with a lot of the issues that have always been in here. And my physical representation, having this type of hair, brought me back to that place again. Like, oh, fuck, you look just like you did before the dreads. And you're still you. And I was like, okay, well, I fooled myself for a minute there into thinking I was a hell of a lot cooler uh, than I actually was. And I think that that, like, you know, kind of admitting that I still had a lot of work to do is what made me cooler. Like the humility that comes with I mean, when you don't think you're fucking awesome. (laughs) I mean, it's good to think that. But to have the humility is like right. You can't just be like you. It's good to feel you're awesome, but it's also you can't just be like I am the best. I have no flaws. Like that leads to toxic shit. In some ways, I did think that I was like better than other people. I it's it's so shitty to have to admit that out loud, but it was like you know I figured out ways to make money and I had like some social status and I just thought it was really fucking cool and like that's toxic thinking. But it was toxic thinking in a way that was serving me at that point. I'm do it without. Usually, people have to get slapped with a fucking tragedy before they learn the error of their ways. And in that circumstance, I, I escaped having to hit a tragedy because I took control of it. I saw it happening. I remember thinking, looking in the mirror with the dreads and being like, "These things go because you think who the fuck you are right now, and that's not cool." And I'm like. Shh. This is all internal dialogue that I had with myself and they needed to go and it really did humble me up in just the way I I wanted it to. You know? And I like I think that everyone needs a dose of that fucking humble pie and I got mine. Sure as hell. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, everyone does need that dose. Everyone needs a reminder of like, we're all still fucking people. people. Yeah. And it's one of the ways like I judge people is like what how do people treat people that can't do shit for them? Bam. That's it. That is uh, that is it. Because that really says a lot about who you are. If you, The way you treat yourself, the people you're close to, and even like the perfect versus the people that can do shit for you. Be somewhere. You get something from. Like, have common courtesy to everybody. Because we all have to exist in society together. I was hanging out with a girl who, like, it was such a major turnoff that she tipped like shit. Oh, to service, like, yeah. waiters? And- yeah. yeah. Like, especially because we were at a spot where, like, they know me and they hooked it up and she tipped, like, 10%. I'm just like, yep, I can't. You're, you're not a good person. Yeah. Like, in the pandemic, I have, as much as I'm, you know, trying to self-quarantine for the most part, I've doubly not gone out because I know I can't afford it's not in the books right now to treat servers and tip them like they should be for put, literally putting their lives on the line for us. So I've been yeah, right? choosing not to go out. Cause it's I like, feel like the people at the grocery store should get tipped. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've said, I, like, 
I've said thank you to some grocery store workers as I'm checking out and they look at me like I'm a crazy person. Yeah. But it's also like with those people, we're also thanking them for unfortunately essentially being indentured servants. Like they had, like they didn't choose to be at that grocery store. They just have no choice about it. They just right. But a lot of them come in with such a good attitude that they deserve a pat in the back. Oh, one hundred percent. Like I want to thank them. I I think they just one hundred percent deserve to be thanked. It just sucks that they have to put their lives on the line for money, and especially in like Los Angeles, that isn't even going to allow them to live comfortably. Well, the same for the military or porn. Well, well. Theoretically, the military has, you know, long-term benefits for serving. In an ideal situation, yes. In an ideal situation, the VA would work better. And soldiers would, you know, veterans would get good free health care for life. They would, you know, the GI Bill, in a lot of situations, if you're never going to be able to afford college in other, other ways, it can't have that benefit. Yeah. I mean, totally. this is part of the reason that we don't have free college and why we don't have free health care is because it encourages impoverished people to go into the military. Right. There's a lot of injustice in the world. And Jesus, why we go back on that bummer shit? I don't know. But let's I'll bring it right back to something pleasant. You know, I don't know what I mean. My pussy because my asshole's name is Gloria. I held a, a poll on uh, my Facebook account. What should we collectively name my pussy? And the uh, we came up with Julia. Sloberts. Nice, nice. Nice. So when your period, your genitals could be Gloria Allred. No, I actually had a, I had a procedure done a couple of months ago to where I don't get periods early anymore. It's called an ablation. They, they remove your endometrium. So I'm like uh, more, I'm closer to like a robot now. It's great. Oh, Crystal Taylor sex robot. Yeah, I love that. Fuck toy sex robot. Well, and now people can finish in you if you're so desire without any potential consequences. To some extent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least the long 18 year old, the one that sticks with it for a long time or you have to go get dealt with. Yeah. No risk of pregnancy, only risk of like maybe a change in the pH of my environment. So there's always like that maintenance, you know, but like no risk of pregnancy is like really rad for me. It's really rad. And obviously, you never wanted children. Never. Not from the time that I was... High five on that. I've always known from the time I was a really young kid that it was just something I didn't want to do. And I've had everyone's fucking ridiculous speeches over the years. Like, don't change your mind one day. Fuck, I will. No, I will not change my mind. I've known just to the core of my being, that's not my path. My path has always been highly sexual, highly exhibitionist highly explorative and it had nothing to do with need wanting the responsibility of another person so i'm so grateful that i live in a place where my medical insurance pay for a procedure like that like in another country you can never even have that kind of control over your sexuality Hell, in parts of in parts of this country a procedure that would require your husband to sign off on it or some bullshit i think that is part of the thing but i i think if maybe if i was in my 20s i wouldn't have done it but because i'm you know I'm in my late thirties that they were willing to, um, to allow me type of control over my body. And it, in certain ways, like there's consequences sex for women and not so much for men. Um, and because I've 
taking control of my body in that way, I feel like as a result of that, I get to experience some of them that men do. Hell yeah. And it's, and it's really awesome. It's really awesome. But I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't tell, tell any woman to just go and do that. You really got to know that that's right. And heaven forbid you do change your mind down the road. You can always adopt. You could, there's so many kids that like need good homes. If you, oh, I'm not you saying can. you ever would. No, for me, I can't. You know, now you're like doing doing porn and being. It's like well, I think once you do porn, you kind of like sign off. I don't know for sure, but I'm. I'm I, I actually know a handful of performers that have kids. Have kids, but if they did them after doing porn, yeah. I think it gets a little bit dicey. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I do feel like it would make it harder. It would probably make it harder, but I'm sure, sure. you could still do it. If you were an active performer, it might be difficult, but right post career. Yeah. I want to do porn until nobody wants to watch me do porn anymore. So, like, I really just don't want to do kids. All my friends have. <laughs> oh, I'm right there with you. Like, I'm, I'm down to be a cool uncle. That's my. Yeah. That's, like, I don't want. There's a reason I don't even have any pets. I have enough trouble keeping myself alive. I'm I'm famous in my friend's house. Like she has four children. Four. It's like Noah's Ark in there, and there's just cats and dogs. It's like insanity. And the, but her kids are, you know, if we're on Facetime, they they go hysterical because they just like love me. <laughs> it's great. I feel famous there. Oh, you have your built-in cheering section. That's awesome. Yes, yes, yes. They like love my. They love the roller skate bullshit. They're all about it. I mean, all four people that want to have kids, but like, I don't know even what you'd want to teach a kid in this day and age if you brought one into the world. I, I don't know. And thankfully, I'm not going to think about it because I'm not doing it. We don't have to. Nope. Ray. Nope. Nope. I keep kicking around getting a vasectomy at some point. I just have that, like, I know they're pretty routine and... The majority of the time goes nothing wrong, but there's always that horror story of something going wrong and like losing sensitivity or something happening. It's like, uh, no, no. it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. Do more research, we're fine. Well, I know it, it anecdotally happened to my roommate's brother. I had like complications. It, I know it's anecdotal, it's still like it's not a rational fear, right. But it's still a fear. Right. Because, boy, that would suck. Yeah, I mean, which side you take or removed or whatever, you, you take risk there, too. But I was willing to take that risk. That's how serious I was. Hey, more power to you on that. Like, get to go out and, like, not worry about getting pregnant, not have to deal with fucking having a period, which nobody enjoys. Yeah, I don't, my body doesn't tolerate birth control, and that's a huge part of the driving force. Like a lot of performers can't get around birth control, but birth control, I, my body reacts very poorly. Every time, within 24 hours of taking any type of birth control, I start having really, like, really, uh, like, almost debilitating symptoms. It's just my, I think, I want to say I'm, like, a fucking allergic to it. It's terrible. So that just wasn't on the table either. So for me, IUDs are also not on the table, so it just... You have to exhaust all other options before you do some shit like that. And for men, it's like, well, there is no birth control bill. Yeah, like, at that point, it's like, condoms, which we all know are not the most fun in the world. They're necessary at times, but not the most fun in the world. So, I think you made the right choice. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to admit if you had a lot of unprotected sex, it's fine. There's nothing yeah, wrong. Like, 
Yeah, I definitely. I'm just a huge slut. Hey, there's nothing wrong with it. As long as everyone is consenting, who cares? Correct. That's all that fucking matters. Like, as long as, you know, both parties know the risks involved and are down for it. Fuck yeah. I mean, uh, hell, the only reason I bought condoms in recent memory is because my most recent partner is like, I, I think we should start using condoms. Like, uh, okay. Sad face, but bought condoms. It just is what it is, you know? Can I use the bathroom? Yeah, yeah go, go. Okay, be right back. Bye. Sorry, I tried so hard. It was like we were going for two hours, and I was just like, finally, I was like, I have to pee so bad. And the worst part was, <laughs> like, we're a few minutes from wrap, but I totally go pee. Like, it. Oh, so while well, we were on break. Oh, my. Awesome. Yeah. Goddamn awesome. Yeah. I started trying to grow it out again last year, and I was like, nope, this is just not coming out the same. No, I like the shaved head look. You're good. Well, it's thank cute. you. Thank you. Yeah. Aw. Aw. She thinks I'm cute. Maybe she's just saying yeah. that on camera. No, I don't have a, um, I used to think I had a type. My type is kindness now. That's what kindness and intelligence is like what turns me on. I prefer big dicks, but they don't have to be huge. I've met, I've had lovers with like, you know, just normal boyfriend sized dick that were able to perform like really incredible because they knew there's all these other aspects of sex besides penetration. Oh, 100%. Yeah, so I fuck fat guys and skinny guys and black guys and white guys and short guys and blah. There's dude that I don't. I, I'm glad that I broke free of thinking that I even had a type. It's awesome. It like allows me to experience it, and it's so much more like full color, high depth sexuality. That that's, that, fucking, that's amazing. fucking amazing. Yeah, women definitely need to not be ashamed to say what they want. And men. Oh yeah. Yeah. One hundred. Men have just as many feelings as women do. Um, I think that culturally we are kind of in that toxic masculinity that teaches men to just be stoic and not talk a lot. 100%. It is definitely a problem where we're seen as weak. And unfortunately, sometimes toxic masculinity is also reinforced by women in our lives. Where I've definitely been involved with women who are just like, I thought it was kind of gross where he started asking for consent to do these things that I was obviously into. Like, you know, it just made me respect him less. It's just like, well, how are we going to move forward with having healthy consent conversations if you're going to shame me for trying to have one? You're like, okay, bitch, we're right in the middle of me too. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, yeah, no, no sane guys taking chances now. Yeah. 100%, 100%, but it's, but it's still, there's just still, still women that, women that, and it's anecdotal, but women who give us shit for not being able to just read the room. We as human society just have to keep moving forward. We have to knock down these barriers and shit. Be like, no, I would like to, you know, you're, what are you into? I'm, what am I into? Just needs to be more communication for everybody. Yeah, agreed. Crystal, it's about that time. I know you need to get hit in the road and shit. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you too. And tolerating like the places that I'll even take these conversations to. Oh, this show goes tangent, 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 tangent all the time. But before we run, before we call, when we call last call on this motherfucker, where can they find all your things? So on Instagram, I'm I love Crystal Taylor. And then I have a backup page, which is VIP Crystal Taylor. 
Crystal with a C. Um, Twitter, I am Crystal Taylor XO. I have a free Snapchat account, which is love, L-U-V, Crystal T. Love Crystal T. And the links to my OnlyFans and my many vids and my Foxy platforms are on my Twitter and Instagram bio. There's a link at the top. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I have two OnlyFans pages. There's free Crystal Taylor and um, and that's a that's free account and then just Crystal Taylor account. Hell yeah. Is my subscription. Go find Crystal's asshole. She wants you to see it. Yes. Memorize my asshole. Gloria. Right. One day you'll have to pick it out of a lineup. It'll be life or death. It's time to make some like coffee mugs and pictures of it. You gotta have it at the yeah. bottom of the coffee mug, so when the coffee's empty, it's just butthole. Oh my god, that's genius! Like an imprint. Of- <laughs> Gold leaf. There we go. There we go. I but- love it. As always, you can find me at Matt underscore Slayer on Twitter, Matt Slayer on Instagram, Matt F and Slayer on Facebook. Twitch.tv slash Matt F and Slayer. You can find the podcast at Now We Drink on Twitter and Now We Drink underscore on Instagram. And until next week, drink up, motherfuckers. You're the best. Aww.